Thanks, team. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to um, James chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, we're going through a series in the book of James. It's towards the end of your Bible. And uh, we've been talking a lot about trials and, and a theme of trials here for quite a few weeks. Uh, the first chapter is all about that. James trying to help out these people who've just become Christians on how, to, how do you live out this faith? What does it look like to walk or to act like a Christian? And, and that's what James's letter is about. And today's message is about speed. And so I was thinking, I'm like, ah, speed. What's it about speed? And so I was thinking, oh, how do you start these things? So I was thinking, what are the, some of the fastest things on planet Earth? And uh, so I was just looking up uh, this past week, the fastest car ever uh, driven is this car right here. I don't even know if you call that a car. Like, how do you even drive that on I-76? But it's called the Thrust SSC. It's got two uh, Rolls-Royce fighter jet engines on it. It's loosely called a car. Um, that thing goes 763 miles an hour. It has the, the land speed record. That's over, that's past the sound barrier. It's over Mach 1. Uh, fastest train is in Japan. It's propelled by magnets. This thing goes 374 miles an hour. Think like top thrill dragster, only in a train, and, and that's what you get. It's all magnetic propulsion. Really cool. Uh, fastest manned plane. Manned, because now you have unmanned planes that have gone faster. But the fastest manned plane is actually America. We have the record for this. It's, it's really more like a missile, only there's no bomb in it. There's just a guy in it. And uh, this is the X-15. It was clocked at going over Mach 6, 4,500 miles per hour. Um, the thing's not really a plane. It can't, it can't even, like, take off. They have to drop it from the belly of a plane. So I don't know how you call that a plane, but it's a plane. Uh, the fastest elevator in the world, which I'm not sure I'd want to ever get on, but uh, it's this, this tower here in China, and the elevator goes 40 miles an hour. Yeah, and it just keeps going right through the roof. Can you imagine? If it, but uh, it, takes, it takes 58 seconds from the first floor to get up to the top at 40 miles an hour. I mean, that's, that's a big tower. That's a fast elevator. Fastest person, uh, I think, uh, oh no, the fastest roller coaster, Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's the Ferrari theme park. I, I, I embarrassed my son because I called it Lamborghini, and my son's like, Dad, really? Um, at least that's what I was thinking because he knows all this stuff. So that's, there's actually a theme park called the Ferrari theme park. You can go there, and uh, it's over in Abu Dhabi. And uh, I, I thought it would be in the U.S., but it's not. This thing goes 149 miles an hour, uh, the roller coaster does. It's huge. Uh, so um, the fastest person, we know this one, Usain Bolt. Um, He's been clocked, and there's some debate on this, but enough people are saying, no, they got it. Uh, he was clocked over going, running over 30 miles an hour, um, which is just insane. Um, let me see here. Uh, cheetah, fastest animal. We all kind of know that. The cheetah, 70 mile an hour, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's boring. But did you know what the fastest fish was? The sailfish. This thing can swim faster than 70 miles an hour. I mean, that, that thing is cruising. Fastest fish. But the fastest 
animal, bird, fish, whatever you want to call living creature on planet Earth is actually the peregrine falcon. It has been clocked at 240 miles an hour when it goes way sky high and then comes down. Yeah, you don't want to get hit by one of those things. Um, 240 miles an hour, I mean, how those feathers stay on that thing, I have no idea. You'd think it'd be bald by the time and ready to eat by the time it got to the ground. Um, it's cool seeing all the fast stuff, but when you go fast, it's dangerous. Things happen when you go fast. Like, you can die going fast and speeding. And at the turn of the century, the first speed limit was started. It was over in Connecticut. And uh, the, the, the city, the posted speed limit inside the city was 12 miles an hour. Yes, slow. But they thought it was fast. They thought it was really fast. Texas right now has the highest speed limit of 85 miles an hour. It's some highway out in the middle of nowhere. We're not even sure if it exists, but it's just out there because nobody lives out there, but it's posted, apparently. Um, but one of the worst moments in my life was the moment when my wife and I, we lived in Montana. And you guys know what I'm going to say. Back in the 90s, you remember that, that little short window when there was no speed limit in Montana? These, that was the speed limit sign. Is this right up there? You just got there and it was just, you just go, that's infinity, right? Speed limit. Oh, I thought it was, I shouldn't have shown it. It's not that funny. Um, it wasn't funny at all. But uh, yeah, we got up there and they had just changed the speed limit sign. I was so, I was so bummed because I really wanted to go like 130, 140 miles an hour or something like that. Well, you could, legal. Okay, that was not bad. How many guys, true confession, would have tried to do that? Uh -huh. That's what I'm talking about. Nobody's saying anything. Uh, girls, how many women, too, would want to go that? Yeah, all right, we got it. All right. Yeah, you guys. Oh, it was such a sad day. Anyway, uh, limits were put out there because it's dangerous to go at breakneck speed because not only does it put your life in danger, it puts those who may be in the vehicle with you or those coming towards you if you lose control. You could, you could kill yourself, you could kill someone else. And the reason I'm talking about speed today is because James is talking about speed. He brings up the whole topic of speed, and the reason he does is because what happens in trials is trials are this, this crucible. We were looking at that through chapter 1, where trials have this ability to push us in directions and cause things to happen internally that can speed things up or slow things down. And as we look in our culture today, we can see the effects of this. Even just this past week, two African Americans were killed by police. That sped up all kinds of good things, all kinds of bad things. I just have to say that, and everybody's like, what is he going to say next, right? That's how fast and how much acceleration and momentum is surrounding those events in our country. That's what trials do. They speed stuff up, and they slow stuff down, and sometimes it's the wrong stuff that goes faster and the wrong stuff that goes slower. And, and what James was saying is, look, trials come. In fact, God brings trials into our lives for the very reason to reveal what is going on underneath. They're the crucible, the pressure applied in our lives that says this is not from Christ. And he brings trials along to show us that, hey, look, you need to grow in this area and become more like me in this 
this area and in this area and in this area. And if we are not self-aware and, and understanding what's going on, we will start to accelerate in ways that are not righteous. And we will start to decelerate and slow down and stop in ways that are not righteous. And James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, or the anger of a woman does not produce the righteousness of God. Trials accelerate things. We hear stories of Christians being persecuted, the church being crucified. We experience it in the classroom or in the courtroom. We worried about it. We hear about different bills being passed at the political level. I see and have heard the anger of Christians as we talk about certain politicians, public figures. I've seen anger in the church. I've seen this accelerate in the church. This church, long time ago, not any, not any time recent, long, long time ago, church in Missoula, both have stories, both churches have stories of fist fights breaking out at the elder board level. Stuff happens in church like this. Trials push us. And as you read this, it begs the question, because I think sometimes as we look around, we think it's just getting worse and worse and worse. But when you read this, it kind of makes you press pause and go, well, well, maybe it's not worse. Maybe it's just the same. Because apparently in James' time, people were slow to hear. People were quick to speak and quick to anger. You know, when I was reading through this, I, I wondered, why in the world would he put these couple of verses right here? Because it just seems like an unrelated topic. In fact, they break it off. And there's a lot of debate in scholastic circles uh, as to whether these verses go with what comes next, the next six to eight verses, or whether it's actually part of the trials. And I think it's part of the trials because this is what happens in trials. This is what we feel and process and experience as we go through trials is, is what are we going to do in terms of how we listen? What are we going to do in terms of our speech? And what are we going to do in terms of the anger that we feel often in trials? And James says there has to be a speed to righteousness that we actually have to prepare and think ahead and go, wait a minute, I've got to understand what speed I need to be at when I'm going in to trials or when I'm in the middle of trials. And James is saying, you're speeding up the wrong things right now, and you're slowing down the wrong things. Now, why does this happen in trials? What, what accelerates and why does that accelerate? Why does it decelerate? Now, this is a complex issue. Because now you're talking about what drives our response, emotional responses, uh, that trigger response. 
in the middle of a trial, and that's a complex issue. I'm not going to try to pretend to be an expert on it. I've gone to school. I've done seminars. Many of you have too. I think what's fascinating is what we're seeing even at a seminary level. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, even part of the 90s, maybe not the 90s, but in the church, you you would hear people, when when somebody started to talk about emotional issues, when you you were talking about what's underneath the surface, people say, oh, that's just psychobabble. That was the word I always heard growing up. That has nothing to do with Christ. That has nothing to do with your spiritual walk. And now you're seeing in every major seminary and Bible school them incorporating this whole idea that there is more going on beneath the surface and it just isn't just sin. It's stuff that's happened in life. Denver Seminary, Trinity Seminary, Dallas Seminary, Nyack Seminary. Uh, these are the ones I know of. Uh, you go out West Coast and you can see some more out in the Zusa and Fuller and These seminaries are all bringing this in because what they're finding is that these leaders of tomorrow's church have no clue what's driving them in the middle of trials and why they're out of control, breakneck speed, in unrighteous ways. And so here's a quick snapshot of kind of the similar things that all these schools of thought kind of focus in on. And the first thing as we go in and what causes us to accelerate is understand what's going on underneath. And and one of those things is the emotional piece of us. And you've got this crazy picture here. Well, this is a picture of us. Maybe you got a better looking car than me, but this is a picture of us. and, And this is what comes out of childhood for some of us and many of us, and this is what comes out of life. And we we carry all this stuff. And if we don't deal with this stuff, This is what we carry into trials. And if we're going 60 miles an hour, you're not going to stop that thing very fast. You got momentum, and then you gun it. Let's say you got a better performing car than that. You gun it. Now you're hurtling along at 90, 100, 120. Imagine doing that emotionally. Imagine doing that relationally and the carnage that comes from it. You don't slow this thing down. And once you do slow it down, it's not going back up real quick. It goes both ways. And so the formative life we have as children can cause significant wounds and destruction. And we take that right into adulthood. And we can fake it until we get to our late 30s, 40s, and by our 50s we're falling apart for sure. You can't hide this stuff. Those memories are the primary emotions Memories such as frustration and fear and anxiety and sorrow and feeling diminished and guilt and shame and rejection and abandonment, failure, humiliation, hurt, literal physical hurt. And if we never deal with those things, it will control our life and it will take control and trial. And it will push us towards unrighteous speeds in ways that we shouldn't be going. Another aspect is our physical health, just stress, margin, rest, diet, exercise, those kind of things, and how we treat our bodies. And and if we're abusing our bodies, at some point, it's going to affect how we handle trials. It is. We're, We're physical beings. God created us in ways, and if we don't take care of ourselves physically, it has an impact on how we handle trials. Spiritual health. Last week we covered verse 18 where it says, God put in us 
the word of truth spoke that into our lives. What was the word of truth? The word of truth we ultimately claimed as we looked at this is about redemption. The gospel, the good news that he came to us and he said, no, you are a new creation. You are my daughter. You are my son. You have me. I'm yours, a child of God forever. Transformed. And if we don't pay attention to those or to that truth and that reality, if we don't take the spiritual life and our connection with Christ seriously and maintain that, we will simply gravitate back to the life we knew prior to Christ, which is sin, and meeting our desires in ways that the old sin, the old man, the flesh, all those words, lures and tempts us into meeting, which leads to sin which leads to death. And so all this stuff is, is in us. We've carried with us unless we've dealt with it. And if we get into a pattern of responding in unrighteous ways from these areas, it can slow us down or it can give us the wrong kind of momentum and cause us to accelerate at all the wrong times in all the wrong ways. Trials tempt us and it's irrational sometimes what happens. It, it tempts us to slam on the brakes on what is good. It tempts us to press the accelerator in all the ways that are wrong. And James comes and he says, look, when trials come, we must be quick to hear. When you're in the middle of a trial, what do you... What's the first thing that comes to mind? I need to listen. I need to listen. I mean, it's the last thing we want to do. You think about your pressure points, and most of our trials come from interaction, interpersonal things that are coming at us. It's not because a peregrine falcon is attacking us, right? It's because of people. It's because of fallen people, fallen political structures, fallen world, whatever you want to call it, fallen workplace which are led by people and staffed by people. We don't want to listen in trials. We want to be heard in trials. Somebody listen to me. Listen to my story. Listen to what's wrong. Listen to what happened to me. You ever been in those moments where the trial is so severe, you're literally calling up one person after another person saying the same story over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you need to be heard. You ever done that? Trying to get people who would support you and love you. Oh, that's awful. Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, you poor thing. That's so wrong. Be quick to listen. Listen to who? Listen to God. Right? I, I would imagine that would be the, that's like the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Who do you listen to? Jesus. Right? When trials come, are you quick to listen? 
which means when trials come and you have to be quick to listen, for me, it's like, oh, to listen to God, I got to like stop. And that's so hard to do. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I'm trying to put this thing out, put the fire out, trying to do whatever. Got to go, got to go, got to go, 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 go. Ah, catch me, God. You can go faster than me. You're already there. Talk to me. You know. Quick to listen. You quick to listen to someone who's in your life or several people in your life who can say to you, slow down. Are you quick to listen to people who have your respect and they say to you, you're way off base. Maybe your conflict was with somebody who you've hurt. Are you quick to listen to them? It's so hard when you're in trials, right? But the last thing you want to do is listen to somebody else, especially somebody else tell you how messed up you are. <laughs> yeah, I don't have time for that. I'm not messed up. It's just a trial I'm in. And somebody comes along and says, you really hurt me. The last thing we want to do is tell me more. Tell me more. We don't want that. Quick to listen. You know, it's interesting as we talk about this idea of quick to hear. I grew up memorizing it in the NIV. Um, just read so many books that talk about this and in psychology they talk about this and it's just proven true throughout the ministry but uh, most I've talked about people they have this percentage 70, 60, 70, 80% of people's pain, trials, problems would probably be answered, healed whatever resolved through somebody just listening. Just listening. And listening is not just sitting there listening, but it's also engaging and asking the follow-up question and, and the leading question and tell me more and what is that? Help me process that and why is this? I've seen it, you know, we do this thing with our marriage couples and it's called reflective listening and you simply have one person sit here and one person sit here and this person says I feel this when you did this and this person said supposed to say this is what I heard you say I feel this when you did this when I did this and I'm telling you you would think that would be very easy to do but it's not when you're in conflict and in trials it's almost impossible I feel like you did this and this is how I felt and all this and this person goes well says something completely different. Like, no, 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 you just say what they said. And, and they, we do it again, and they can't do it. It's hard. And it's not because they can't listen, it's because trials do something to our ability to listen. It's so hard. And I've seen couples sit across from each other, and there's this breakthrough moment where someone finally gets heard. And it's like, you heard me. This is what I wanted. The church should be famous for this. The church should be the place where somebody gets heard. It's the place where people can come in and be heard, maybe for the first time. And who then is the one hearing? It's, it's us. We're listening. 
I talked to psychologists, several of them, friends, and, and they just say, I'm more just like a professional friend. I get paid to be a professional friend to a lot of people. I'm like, wow, that's just messed up. You got any room on your staff? <laughs> a professional friend. He says, speed up listening. The speed of righteousness for listening and trials should be 60 miles or higher per hour, right? Think of it that way. We should be flying when trials come, when it comes to listening. That's the speed of righteousness. He goes on to say this next thing. Slow to speak. Be slow to speak. The speed of righteousness with our speech is slow down. 12 miles an hour in city limits. Slow. And that's hard to do. Because when we're in trials... We want to say things, and we just want to see that accelerate, and I'll give you a piece of my mind, and I'll, and I'll come back, and I got one, and I'll get the last word. And It's amazing how we can go zero to 60 like that with our speech. Almost instantaneously. And if you're unhealthy and you really haven't dealt with any of your stuff and the mess that you're in and you're completely disconnected with God, you're already at 60 miles an hour. Put a little fuel on this thing and you're at 120. And your speech is like, what is going on? Our speech should be at a speed that's so slow. Slow down your words. Put brakes on your speech. He goes on to say, be slow to anger. And I'm not saying much on speech because chapter 3 has a whole section on it, so we'll really talk about the tongue over there. And that's why I'm not spending as much time. And he goes on then, the third thing, he says, be slow to anger. But he adds this qualifier, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. None of the other ones get this explanation, but he says, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's interesting that he puts a qualifier with anger because everyone who gets angry, I think I can say this 100%, everyone thinks they're justified. Everybody thinks their cause is righteous. I got a reason to be angry. If you know what happened. I mean, that's why he's all of a sudden saying, yeah, your anger is not that righteous. And he, he reveals here, Two ideas of anger that are biblical ideas. One is righteous anger and one is unrighteous anger. Righteous anger we see played out in the Old Testament a lot. God's anger burned hotly. You read this over and over and over again. One of the first times is when God had just delivered Israel from Egypt. 400 years of slavery, did the 12 plagues, got them out of Egypt, got them all the possessions. Then the big the army comes after them, the tornado thing, something like that. And, and then they get to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts. They get them through that. God's there. God's delivering. God loves them. He's real, right? Get them across that. 
They finally get over to Mount Sinai. God shows up. Wow, smoke, lightning, crazy big epic things, galactic things happening on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up there. He's up there a really long time, and they're like, yeah, where's God? Let's build ourselves a golden calf. Gaff, the calf, according to Aaron, pops out of the fire, presto, and they've got this little golden calf. Moses comes down, and God gets angry. That's righteous anger, and you see it over and over again. God had righteous anger because of the, what do you say, unrighteous behavior of his people. What's fascinating is over and over and over again, you find that God writes these verses that say, don't get angry, don't get angry. And there's a fair amount of pessimism from God about our ability to have righteous anger. In fact, so much, he says, just don't get angry. It's not good. You're not good at it. You stink at it. It's going to go sideways. And don't bring my name into it either. I mean, those are the kind of things. You see warnings, warnings, warnings. You very rarely see God say, I wish that you would get angry. It just hardly ever happens. The only times it happens is with the prophets who are angry at the people of Israel after hundreds of years of disobedience and killing prophets. And you see God's righteous anger. But those are prophets called by God to get angry. Very specific people only a few. Don't get angry. And yet what happens in trials is anger accelerates. If you're doing okay, it's zero to 60. If you're already angry because of everything that's happened in your life, you're, you're, you've got momentum and you just gun it. Trials is, is just like this high-octane fuel that just gets poured right into the engine. You just get a funnel pour right in there. Ecclesiastes says, be not quick, or do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Proverbs says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The speed of righteousness is to slow the right things down and speed the right things up. And if we don't think about this now, when the trials come, we're going to be going at the speed of unrighteousness in all the wrong ways. But if we look this verse over and we take this to heart we'll be prepared when trials come to understand I've got to slow down my speech I've got to slow down my anger and I've got to accelerate my listening practically what does this look like there's a couple thoughts I have um, since trials a lot of them are centered around people let me just encourage you, don't do conflict by texting, by email, by Snapchat, by Facebook, anything that is not face-to-face, -face, I would avoid. There's too much misinterpretation, there's too much miscommunication that happens through those, and I'm not just talking about the younger generation, I'm talking about all of us. 
over the past five years, I cannot tell you how many conflicts have accelerated and blown up because people are texting each other. And it just goes, it just goes bad. It does. There's a couple people that are on full-time staff, and this is even emojis. Don't even do an emoji, okay? There's two people full-time that are on staff in Chicago at the police department there, and all they do is they read Facebook posts, they read Snapchat posts, and I, I can't remember what the other one, there's another one like Snapchat, um, Twitter, Instagram. All they're doing is reading those things. And they're actually taking very seriously emojis. Like, these gangsters, they do an emoji, it actually means they're going to go kill somebody. And they've actually caught people just because of the emojis they've posted. These two, there's two students, college students they've hired, and that's all they do, is they just troll all this, this electronic media stuff, figuring out stuff, and they've solved crimes, and they've prevented crimes just because of this, this type of thing. And this happens here, and we don't we're not reading your Facebook page. I don't have time to read your Facebook page and, and, and Instagram, and, and, and you don't have time to read mine. It's not about that. It's about what we do in the middle of these trials and conflict. As a staff, as an elder, we don't process conflict in any way on texting and Facebook and even email. We have discussions sometimes as a staff and elders about, uh, you know, it's decision, decisions, issues that we've got to work through. And when I sense there actually needs to be a healthy debate and there's going to be a disagreement on this stuff, we shut it down. And we just say, hey, guys, looks like we've got to disagree in, present, in, in person. And we've done that over the years a number of times. We just won't do it by email because even there, you're talking about healthy people, and, and, and it still can go south. Draw incorrect conclusions. You get self-righteous. You start reading into things. Well, what does that mean? Well, why didn't they say it that way? Oh, I guess they're... Wow. Whatever. Somebody sends you an email, somebody sends you something, and you want to reply, and you're all hopped up, and you have the moral higher ground, whatever that is. Write it out, but don't send it. I've often done that. I'll write out my little feisty response, all self-righteous and proud of myself, but I won't send it. I've learned not to send it. I sent one too many. And I'll let it sit there in my box. I'll come back the next day and go, eh, I think I'm right, mostly. Two or three days later, come back, maybe I'm not so right. A week later, yeah, they're probably right. I got some things to look at here. Slow down anger. Slow down speech. You never have to take it back if you've never expressed it and you've never said it. It's so hard once you put those words out there to take it back. You know, one of the interesting things, uh, as we've talked about, you know, just I think through speech, quick to speak, when, you, when we don't know what's going on and we don't have that 
speed figured out. Like, I've got to be careful about what I say. I don't jump into it. It gets us into trouble. And we're not talking about, like, electronic stuff. We're talking about conversations. A couple weeks ago, we were having a prayer meeting, and um, it was right there at the beginning. And I was just filled with Jesus and all like, yeah, we're going to be there, and Jesus is going to be here, and it's going to be awesome. And then somebody came in, and we got into a conversation. And I was like, I went from zero, I'm happy, filled with Jesus, to I got real chippy. And, and I was just like, you ever have those moments where like words are coming out, like, no, why am I saying? And so I just started going, at, there was a subject, and I started going after, it was a friend. And we never talked this way to each other, ever. And I just like, was getting up in his grill, and I wasn't like close, but we were sitting far away, but I was just being a punk. That's about the best way I can say it. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And then somebody comes in, and you'd think I'd stop. And I'm just like, oh no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going. This person's still here, and I'm going. And another person came, and I was like, all right, got to stop this. we got to shut this down. And then I'm like, everybody comes in, well, let's worship the Lord, right? And so we start playing some song. I'm in the middle of this, and God's like, you're not doing this, right? You seriously think you're going to lead prayer meeting after what you just did? And I'm like, maybe? Um, he said, no, make it right. And I'm like, but if I make it right, I have to do it in front of everybody uh, because I can't just pull them out and I can't just stop the prayer meeting because I'll pull them out and then it'll be this big thing and everybody wonder why it's all secret. And So we get done with the songs and I just said, look, I got to apologize. And I just, I am way sorry. And uh, fortunately, this person gave me a lot of grace, forgave me. And they said, well, I wonder what was going on with you. And I'm like, yeah, it was me. It wasn't you. If we're not self-aware of what's going on, we are just going to blow through people with our speech. And the funny thing was, it wasn't about this person at all. It was about all kinds of other stuff that was happening. But that's what can happen if we are not thinking through what is the speed of righteousness in our speech, in our anger, in our ability to listen. One last thing. Practical application, which this one won't be easy, but I would ask somebody, what do you think I am? What, do you th what speed do you think I'm going at with my anger? What speed do you think I'm going at with my tongue? What speed do you think I'm at with listening? in trials, not in the easy times, in trials, and maybe even in the easy times, because if you're going at a high speed in the easy times and all the wrong things, that screams issues. I mean, that's a fancy word for you got stuff to work through. Ask someone. It's a dangerous thing, but it may be quite revealing. Let me pray.